You're listening to the Country Chat Podcast with your host, Dom. Subscribe, give a five-star rating, and follow us on Twitter at country underscore chat. And stay up to date. Hi there. You listen to the Country Chat Podcast with me, Dom. Today I'm going stateside, Canada side. And I'm speaking with a fantastic artist. I've mentioned her on Twitter already. Her name is O Susanna. I, o, Sus- can I call you O Susanna or shall I call you O um, oh, yeah. Susie? You or- must call me Lady O. No. <laughs> Lady O. <laughs> so, Lady O, how Susie. are you doing? Just call me Susie. Just call me Susie. Everybody does. So, Susie. It's not hidden. How are you yeah. doing today? I'm very well. Yeah, it's morning here. I mean, just barely, more, almost afternoon. So now you're based out of my coffee. You live in Vancouver, is it? That's right. That's um, eight, well, it's eight hours behind us at the moment. It's five past seven here in the UK, so mm-hmm. it's a bit of a time difference. Yes. You didn't have to get up especially <laughs> early for this, did you? No way. But I was a little nervous because I didn't know exactly when it would be. So I was like, oh, I better get up, get dressed, look presentable instead of showing up, you know, like a slacker in my robe or something. <laughs> I, anything goes here. You know, if you want to dress in your pajamas or robes or <laughs> feel free, you know, it's, it's a relaxed my robes. <laughs> my evening gowns. Well, we t- we, just before we were talking, I always apologize for my accent because being from the north of England, I can sometimes come across as common and was comparing like the my accent to like down south near London to where it's a bit more bit more Queen's English and we was talking about Downton Abbey and now I've just got a picture of you being in Downton Abbey would I be downstairs or upstairs I don't know um the the, 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 the posher people the posher people (laughs) although it's way more fun downstairs that that's what it's about it's about having that fun now, yeah. we're going to talk about music now, and okay. you'll find that we'll talk about music, but I'll end up completely diverting the conversation somewhere else, so just go with me. I will. First one I really want to talk about, and it's the one that I mentioned on Twitter already, and it's called River Blue. Okay. Now, River Blue, at the moment there's, is it three or four that have been released so far, acoustic versions? Four. Four so far, and River That's Blue right. is one of them, and exactly. it is, it's tremendous. The, Thank you. The, the tweet I put out was, I'm sure it's okay to cry at work, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so emotional. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty emotional song, and, and when I perform it, it does, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the position of of the character who's singing the song and it does get quite emotional and I if I'm playing with other musicians I always try to get them to play in this very passionate way especially in the solo the guitar solo I'm like Rah! I try to scream at them <laughs> in a way like do it <laughs> get down there into the darkness yeah, because it, it is a song about redemption, but also and forgiveness. But it's, you know, trying to come come out of something traumatic and difficult. Yeah. Now the the deluxe album that you're going to be releasing on the fourth of September, Sleepy Little Sailor, mm-hmm. 
it consists of produced tracks, so the like a full band and everything's ramped up, and then you've got your acoustic tracks towards the end of the album of the same songs, but really slowed down and almost mellowed through. Which out of the two true. do you prefer doing? Do you prefer doing the acoustic versions or do you like the full band? Oh, don't make me choose. <laughs> <laughs> playing with other people is always really fun. But then playing alone, I think I get more into the story. Um, you know, having the band brings all this texture and I can play off them and they can play off me and it can be about creating this sound and a, a mood. But then when it's just me, I can get into the story and the emotion of the song more deeply. Yeah. And I like both. I mean, if I were always to play alone, I think I would be bummed out <laughs> to put it in a kind of hoser Canadian term. Yeah. Um, but I, I miss playing alone. I like the, the flip side, you know, I like both sides of it. And, and actually, if you ask me more questions, you'll find that I have that kind of, I'm not a Libra, but I'm on the cusp of it. So I am always thinking, oh, this, on that one hand, this, and on the other hand, it's this. It's funny and you I like say those. that. It's funny you say that, because my birthday is the 23rd of September. Okay. It always flips between Virgo or Libra, depending where I look. So yeah. So I'm the exact same. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cusp. I'm a cusper. Cusp. <laughs> I, I cusp it. <laughs> I fall between both of them, and yeah, whenever yeah. I, whenever I read horoscopes, I just tend to read them both or listen to them both if I'm speaking to a yeah. doctor. Or if you don't like that horoscope, you should read someone else's horoscope. <laughs> I, I believe in that too. That's what it's about. Do you believe? Do you actually believe in the whole horoscopes and the whole star signs? Well, it's funny because I kind of um, I'm not really flaky or witchy in any way, but then I. I did subscribe very much to the fact that I'm a Scorpio and um, especially when I was a teenager, that kind of extreme dark and light, you know, split personality between those two extremes. But I don't know. It was, I find it's a good way to just explore and find out how you feel or what, how you tend to be. I don't know if it actually is true, but I often do <laughs> resort to that. Like, oh yeah, I can tell you're this sign or whatever. And, uh, but really, I don't know. I, but I do believe in place and time. So if you're born somewhere, it might not be the arrangement of the planets that determine who you are, but I do believe that if you're born at a certain time and in a certain location, it might affect your history and therefore how you your character builds up. Yeah. Do you find that it like kind of when you listen to your horoscope? I do, I, I sometimes do this. If it's something really that almost resonates with you, do you ever like try and seek it out? I mean, by that I mean. If the horoscope says that you're going to find true happiness through 
a newspaper in the park, would you go to the park and pick up a newspaper <laughs> purposely because it said that or? Probably not. I, I'm, I mean, I, I would. I w- well, I don't know if they're all that specific. I mean, that's the whole thing. The beauty of them is that they're so general that you can apply it to whatever you want to. But I kind of love that. Like, I love tarot cards because they basically are just a reflection of yourself and what you see and what you're going through. And it's okay that it might not be objectively true. It's a, it's a way for people to, or you know, astrologists or, or psychics to kind of enhance your self-reflection. Yeah. And that's okay. So um, I think I just use those kinds of things to, to go, well, what is happening in my mind that I'm not really noticing unless I look at these cards or I look at the horoscope and then it will go, and then I'll say, oh yeah, this is what I'm thinking of or this is what I'm feeling. And it just reminds me to look at that even more. I mean, tarot cards, I've, I've always wanted to get a psychic or even a clairvoyant to read my cards or to try and see into my past or see into the future. And mm-hmm. I've, always, I've always been... At first, I used to be quite, kind of like, I don't believe in all that. But then over yeah. the past like few years, I've just really thought, you know what? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give it a try one day. I really want to believe I know it's it's well I think what I believe in is the is the way you know what I was saying before that the way that the cards or the way that the reader can make you search yeah and make you um, reflect on what is happening with you and it's you know it's very much like a therapeutic exercise where if you have a good therapist they help you they lead you into these corners of your mind or your upbringing. Yeah. And they allow you to um, reflect and maybe grow and confront things that maybe you're not into. Normally, you're just avoiding them. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's I've... other moments where it's like, okay, I got to face that. Yeah. Do you ever find that it's easy for you to face difficult situations knowing that you've got people behind you i mean we've just i've just seen your husband he's baking bread yeah. at the moment isn't he that's right so it must be I great mean, what yeah it's true if you have that support and i do have great supports my family has always been really supportive and my friends and my family you know my husband and even my teenage kid yeah <laughs> in his own way um and i and i have a great team of people working with me in terms of uh music um yeah i think it's easier to float around and go into these places when you feel like someone can catch you again yeah now river blue it's I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you describe it because I, I won't be able to describe it as emotionally. Well, the song came out of um, writing for a film and the film is about um, two sisters who have 
been abused as kids and now they're grown up and they have a younger brother and they think that he is going to um, be taken by the, the stepfather and abused as well. So they are trying to save their younger brother from going on this fishing trip with the stepfather. And But the movie is really a road movie in a way of talking about how this abuse has affected their lives and their relationship yeah. and how they have to kind of connect and and forgive each other. And I was really lucky because I was commissioned to write the song before the film was even finished. I had a rough cut of it and I could watch it and then start really, you know, immediately after I watched it, I wrote down some words that I that were from the film and then build upon that to make this song and then it would go on the um, end credits. Um, the thing that's really cool though is that when I sing it, I'm trying to embody the characters and really instead of it just being something that I did for a film, I'm truly really trying to bring life to it and emotion to it so that it feels true. It feels like someone could believe that I actually lived through something like that even though thankfully I have not but luckily the interesting thing and the thing that I feel is a great honor is when people who have lived through something like that talk to me about it and they say that song really resonates with me and it's exactly what I wish I could have said yeah, I saw, I saw on I saw on Instagram that that kind of that kind of phrasing where people have come to you actually after releasing it and saying thank you, you know, thank you mm-hmm. for putting it into words and yeah, I mean the the whole my family's always fostered. We've always had like foster brothers and sisters growing up, mm. and the amount of abuse that you hear from from the kids when they do start to open up and start to trust you really it's so incredible and you wonder how they can make it through that kind of environment growing up because they're so innocent and the idea of two sisters you know one trying to flee and one having to stay put because she can't get away and then wanted to do the Mm -hmm. same to protect the brother later on it's just so if I, I know you've got the inspiration from the film because you you have mm-hmm. to kind of base it on the film, but to come up with the lyrics the way you have, and then afterwards the arrangement, it's just so it it's moving. It's very very moving. Mm. Thank you, Dom. Yeah, I. It's fairly interesting that you had that experience growing up that you could be in a good family that would take these kids in and then see that people can um, be cruel to each other, but then also be very kind and heal. Yes. And I guess that's the, that's the point of the song, is this idea of trying to heal. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, ju- just the, the, even like the words saying that you've got, the, you've got a picture and you can just, mm. you just, you just picture you just picture the hurt and the pain that the the older sister's going through, knowing that there's nothing really that she can do. 
to affect the younger sister's mind. Because mm, yeah. when you grow up, you can grow up with a grudge and that grudge or that, that hurt can eat at you for years mm-hmm. and years and years and it can leave a hole. And yeah, you, you've really, really encaptured the whole emotional side and the visual side in a song. It's brilliant work. Mm, thank you. What was yeah. what was the what was the film? Can you say yet? Or yeah, it's called the Fishing Trip, and it was fr- so that song I wrote in the late nineties, and um, it was a Canadian film, independent, and made by a filmmaker named Amnon Bookbinder, who's since uh, died, but re- quite recently, far too young. But it's. You know, it's not a big Hollywood blockbuster, but that was the charm, and um, it's it's a really touching film because it really is just about the performances of these two actors. Yeah, you know, trying to deal with each other and the two sisters. And I have a sister, and I can relate so well to the fact that being you know, having siblings is a is a love hate thing. Yeah. And you end up close, maybe, if you know, if you have a I fought all the time with my sister as a kid. <laughs> you do. And we kinda hated each other. But now we just adore each other. I mean that's the thing, is when there's strong emotions, I think that talking about flip sides again, it's about you know, love and hate are two sides of the same coin rather than being, you know, if you're just indifferent, then you won't have a conflict. Yeah. Do you still speak? Cam is trying to tell me that I should tell you <laughs> that it won an award. So, so typical, Susie, to not even mention <laughs> that it won a genie that year, which is like a BAFTA. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Stop interrupting. So those that haven't got the gist of that, that was Susie's husband. Yeah, he has to boss me around sometimes when I... Yeah, that's the way <laughs> Don't worry as well. I was going to ask that question. The film itself, and then obviously the work that you've done, I was going to ask, has it won any accolades? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a nice leading question. So <laughs> Cam really yes, brought it so in. The film, uh, the song was actually up for an award and it won and it was for a film award. Now they're called the Canadian Film and Television Awards, but at the time they were called Genies. Um, and that was, that was amazing because really I was quite new to writing songs and... Um, so just to go to the award show and be sitting there and have that experience. Now when I watch award shows, I'm like, I know what that's like to have your name be called and then suddenly you're just in this weird slow motion movie going, trying to go upstairs and go, don't trip! <laughs> <laughs> and then saying a speech and wondering if you were coherent or not and all that stuff. It's pretty... It's You know, to watch it, it can be kind of boring, but I... <laughs> 
because I've had that experience. I'm like, oh, I kind of love watching, especially the people that you don't know. In the when you watch the Oscars, now I just love the awards where you have no idea who the people are. Yeah, because you can really just see how thrilling it is, and you know, to this person who's very much behind the scenes and they're you know, toiling away in obscurity or maybe they're known in the industry, but they're not known to the general public. So it's, <laughs> yeah, I had that. I had that. It was fun. It was great. Did you have to rehearse your speech? I did. I was quite careful with it because I was quite, I was cheeky because this guy, Don McKellar, who's a, an actor, Canadian actor and writer and filmmaker. He was up for a whole bunch of these awards. And when I told my friend Tracy that I was being nominated for this award, she said, oh, I love Don McKellar. Maybe you can get me a date with him. So then I thought, well, maybe if I win, I can work that into my speech somehow. So during my speech, I thanked all the appropriate people. And then I said... By the way, Don, I have a friend who wants to have a date with you. <laughs> and she's a, you know, what she was studying psycholinguistics at the time, so she's a really intelligent person. And uh, wow. I was trying to sell it to her. Anyway, it was quite hilarious. And, and um, the host of the evening was like, hey, Don, <laughs> sounds like a good prospect. <laughs> wow. Did it work? It didn't work, alas, no. Oh, no. That's so I sad. Know. It is sad, but... He's missed who out. Who knows? Yeah. Tracy's moved on, by the way, Don. <laughs> missed your chance, Don. Now, when you actually see your name pop up, what is what goes through your head? I mean, I'd just... I'd go blank. I wouldn't know what to do. I know. It was it was almost like an automatic pilot kind of thing. Like, I guess I have to walk up the stairs. <laughs> I was in shock. And but you know what I kind of when I'm performing, the same kind of thing can happen where I'm not necessarily in shock and but afterwards I had that same feeling of being like you're kind of stoned or something. Yeah. And you don't quite know what you're doing. And you're and all this adrenaline's rushing through you and and yeah and you're like oh my god it takes a while to come down from it and real and you wonder what you did when you were on that drug of adrenaline i can imagine that would just be so exhilarating to even <laughs> not only to win an award but to also be the fact that someone's thought this song is brilliant it deserves a nomination for an award mm-hmm. just to, just to even yeah. hear that yeah, that was pretty great. How did it all like pan out? Did you get like a letter through the post or a telephone call or? I think I got a telephone call. Um, well, I was working through a publisher, this uh, guy named Robert Ott, and he was working at BMG. And he, I think, called me and said, guess what, Susie, you've been nominated. Or I, I don't even really remember. I mean, it was this is so long ago, it was on a landline, you know? So I yeah. was in my bedroom on the phone. God. And um, and I got this message from him. I don't even know. 
I think it was from him. Or it could have been some from the music supervisor who was working for the film. And the irony was that we were actually, Robert and I were kind of having hashing out our contract at the time, and, it, and my management was getting kind of annoyed with them. And so <laughs> we had to go to the award show together, even though I actually really liked him. But it was funny because we were kind of battling over the details, and then suddenly it's like, you know, at first we're thinking, oh, this silly, bleh, this thing isn't working very smoothly, and then suddenly it's like, okay, the award, and it kind of smoothed the other, everything out. And we all went in a limo together to the awards show, and it was in Hamilton or Mississauga or something. So the limo ride from Toronto, because I was living in Toronto at the time, was about you know forty-five minutes, and yeah. but it was great. It was like, you know, just a super fun time where we. And then you have this, and then I'm lugging this award around all night, and it's really heavy. It's like thirty pounds or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow please say you've still got it uh, yeah i've got it it's actually in toronto right now because i just moved to vancouver last year but um yeah it was it was pretty great that's a pretty fair distance to move what how 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 long does that take to buy a house and then prepare to move everything over well I, we're just renting and it took about a year to for me to go through every single thing in in Toronto to try to purge it or figure out how to file it away or something. And I didn't bring everything. I just I just took my essentials and my family members' essentials. But yeah, it was a lot of work. I mean, I I panic every time I move twenty miles down the road. <laughs> yeah, moving is hard. <laughs> Wow, 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 wow. Now, Sleep a Little Sailor. Mm -hmm. You've released four tracks so far, acoustic tracks, and then you've got the rest of the tracks coming out on the 4th of September. I want to keep plugging this throughout the whole show. So be sure Thank to you. be be sure to be ready on the 4th of September because, wow, the deluxe album, from start to finish, the, the band that goes throughout it, like on River Blue, on sacrifice on everything is just so wow everything is just like pumped up all the emotions are still there but the exhilaration is like turned up mm. to 11 yeah i mean we ha i think part of that is because of how we recorded it it was really us living together for 10 days in a big studio called the bathhouse and we were you know basically it was like going to camp to make a record yeah. sleeping in the same building and eating together and playing together and trying to capture performances rather than you know now because of budget or because of digital technology you're able to um, make everything in a layer or and to a click track and then you can line up the tracks and get out the timing right but you're not necessarily all playing together but with this record, we really are making it in a kind of old school way where um, Colin Cripps, who produced the record, was like, we're all going to be in the studio all at once. We're all we're going to perform these songs. We're not going to rehearse them too much. We're going to know how to play them, but not rehearse them too much. And we're going to capture the moment that you guys all figure it out. But not beyond that, because he felt the emotion was at that 
point where you're just figuring out the song, you know, just beyond that. You've n- learned the song and now you're getting into the feelings of it. And then it's got this fresh performance. And almost all the vocals are live off the floor, me just singing with the band. Oh, wow. Instead of doing overdubs and comping together. We also made it on two-inch tape, so you can't really edit that easily. <laughs> it becomes a nightmare. Actually, you know, got to actually clip the tape sometimes yeah. or punch in and it's just for people who have never recorded analog the limitation makes you decide things and um because you just cannot edit in the same way that you can with digital why did i mean you i des- love why did you why did we do that to, yeah to go analog instead of the whole i mean it can, i can it imagine was- it's easier to do it digitally and relayer over tracks and I know it loses that kind of sound, but it must be so much yeah, easier. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason being was, first of all, records were still being made with analog technology at that point. Yeah. Um, it was a transition period because it was the year 2000. So some people were like, well, are we going to do it with digital technology or are we going to use tape? And... I think because of who I was working with, they were older musicians and producers. They were used to tape. That was the norm. Yeah. And I think also it made the record, uh, you know, we could make it in 10 days instead of stringing it out over months and months and months, which is really possible to do. I just didn't have the budget to do that. But it was like, okay, we have 10 days. We've got to figure it out in that time. And the pressure's on. And it's almost it's almost like going and doing a show instead of, you know, making a record with little bits of pieces each time. You're like, no, no, no. We are actually performing this music. Yeah. And... We have to capture that and it makes you focus and go deep into the songs in a way that you might not do if it were all separate, you know, oh, I'm going to send this over to my guitarist who's living in this town over there and he can just, uh, you know, he or she can just play along with what we've done and then we have to edit, you know, all the things they've done. (laughs) No, it was like, no, you figure out what you're playing. And don't play any more and don't play any less because this is what's going down onto the tape. Yeah. Also, Colin was quite uh, influenced by Malcolm Byrne and Daniel Lanois, who are producers from his hometown, Hamilton. And that's how they made records is really, you know, people playing all together and recording that. Yeah. What do you prefer to do? in terms of like the analog and digital world if you had the choice now what would you oh boy i don't know i mean working so i've been doing a lot of you know my subsequent records are much more using uh digital technology so you get used to being able to edit and fine tune and be really nitpicky about timing and can you shift this over? Oh, it's a little bit out of time. Can you move it over or, you know, pitch correction or whatever, all these things, these tools that 
are interesting and helpful in some ways, but sometimes you do lose um, the human element of music. Yeah. And um, that people now are just so used to such polished performances, which they don't realize are all cut together <laughs> from little pieces. Or made with a laptop. Unless someone is incredibly talented and they can just... I mean, I actually think that most... You know, if you're a good singer, you could do it in a one take. Yeah. But... And I believe that there are people out there who are incredibly talented and they could do it that way. But we get... You know, we get that perfectionism drilled into us. Like, oh... You know, you can kind of hear a little bit of a flaw or a little... Maybe just that note isn't as strong or as long as I want it to be. And then it it makes you edit and edit and edit. And then you can get, it can, it's too much sometimes. Yeah, you can get, become quite obsessed with it, trying to find that perfect sound. I use quotation marks. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, if you listen to, I mean, the Beatles were into multi-tracking and all this sort of stuff, but they actually kept a lot of really raw stuff. Where you know your voice is cracking, or you're you, there's a, I mean there's, or the maybe the bass is a little bit out of time with the drums or something, but we don't care. Our we're just like the of course it's human beings exactly playing that music. Well, end of the day, it gives the listener that kind of vibe that gives you the understanding of what you will be like live. Now I know many mm-hmm. there's many acts out there that sound fantastic in a studio with all the mm-hmm. auto-tune and everything, but as soon as they play live, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it, it's, it shouts volumes for yourself because what we hear is what we get, and it's amazing. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that was the other thing is I think that we all, you know, the band we're very seasoned players who have, who are enormously talented and Colin who was producing said you know really believed that I could work this way even though I was kind of inexperienced and didn't but maybe that was an advantage because I had no idea of I mean I did had done a record before called Johnstown where we did basically the producer said okay sing the song 3 times and once we get those three times, then we'll edit between those things. But we tried to keep, you know, big chunks of it. And it would only replace bits if it was really like, mm, I'm not so crazy about that phrasing or whatever. Um, but Colin really was like, he was up for overdubbing my vocals if need be. But he was like, you know what? We don't need to. Yeah. That's it. If, if you've got the... If you've got the talent, which you have, if you've got the talent in the band, which you've got, mm-hmm. you know, if three tra- three goes, mm-hmm. some people might struggle, fair enough. But if you mm-hmm. can do it, then it gives a more authentic sound rather than just that. The other thing is that I was singing all day, pretty much, because we were trying to get, what? Well, how many songs did we do in a day? Maybe the goal was two. Yeah. And so that would mean that I would be singing, 
you know, singing every take as if it were something we were going to keep. And that helped my voice um, stay in shape and just have it be really flexible. Wow. That must be, it must be so flexible because if I tried that... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was 20 years ago now. I've been sitting around on my butt um, during COVID, and now I have to practice these songs because I'm going to perform the whole record. And I'm like, oh, how do I play that song again? Or how do, oh, my voice, I, I have to warm it all up again. So I'm spending the whole, from now till then, trying to do the set. What is your like? Get back into shape. What's your vocal warm up routine? Oh, I'm terrible. I just kind of just sing. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I do, I've started to maybe sing in the shower. If I know I'm going to sing that day, I'm like, okay, I should warm up a little bit. But it always feels really dorky to be doing scales or <laughs> things that you're supposed to be doing that every incredible singer probably does, but I always feel embarrassed about it. And um, pretty much I just try to, go easy at the beginning like try to sing the song but don't go full volume and warm up to it yeah <clears throat> almost like step it up so start really really quiet and then building up and then building up and then building yeah. it up really yeah. test those ranges mm -hmm. now a few of your songs it gives me the vibe of i don't know if you know this artist but she's called lord and oh yeah she she speaks very honestly and mm. you take that but then add like 10 levels to it especially on like sacrifice and beauty boy just wow I, mm, thanks I, I'm, dom i'm starstruck here <laughs> <laughs> thank you um yeah i mean i think because when i'm writing I'm tr especially in those days, I was really trying to express, um, you know, deep feelings. I have this funny clip of me 20 years ago going, deep feelings. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm saying it again. <laughs> you know, I was, I was very serious about music and, I, and the power of it. And I still am, but I have a little bit more of a lighthearted... Uh, thing going on from you know 20 years later but at the time I was like really trying to go deep into something I was really into music that was um, extremely emotional I guess and uh, you know I was very much into the blues you know acoustic blues at the time or even old-time country music that is all about expressing the pain of life and so for me that was really my inspiration and I, you know I was into the stones who might be posturing and doing all this these antics but there was something that they were tr I felt like they were trying to get to that was really deep especially in their older material um so to me, music was like a serious thing that you have to, um, you know, you have to conjure something yeah. kind of that is palpable to the listener or even, or 
you're palpable to me as a performer. If I can feel it when I'm singing it alone, and then I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to feel it then, then I feel as if the audience might catch it in the wind and and absorb it, and they'll feel it too. And then there'll be this connection. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Then I have, you know, it's funny because right now I'm recording this song that's way more lighthearted. I mean, I'm doing all this mute, new material after this record, com this reissue comes out. I'm going to, in the next year, I'm going to record, uh, well, I've recorded most of it, but new songs. And a lot of them are also quite serious and, and reflective. But then I'm doing this one song that's more kind of light. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, for me, I'm like, is that okay? I guess it needs a, a bit of a this balance. Stuff? So, yeah, what is this? This is playful and kind of lighthearted, and yeah, I was listening to the Monkees the other day. I was I heard this interview with Mickey Dolenz with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, and I was like, oh my, I think I should write a whole album of Monkees type music that's really lighthearted and catchy. <laughs> I'd certainly be down for that. Know. I don't know if I'll do, be able to do it, but it, but there was something so beautiful about how fluffy it was and just ear candy. Yeah. I mean, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. It's just yeah. so... It, it makes you smile. It's brilliant. Yes, it does. <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of into, again, the extremes of, you know, We'll have the the wonderful um, exuberant joy of '60s pop music, and then like the dark pain of old time country or blues records. Yeah, now that's the great thing with country music in particular is how versatile it is, how flexible it is. You know, it can mm. range between that that poppy vibe and particularly like the 60s vibe, you know, you've got the likes of Mel Haggard, you know, you can mm -hmm. you can go into the past or you can go into the future and go to the like the jazzier up-tempo. I know it's a lot of people have this saying now regarding the current kind of like country scene where it's just too poppy, but mm -hmm. it just shows where it can go and how yeah. brilliant it is. Mm -hmm. Why country music for you <laughs> it's funny you say that because I, I mean at the beginning I was really inspired by old country music and that was I wanted to make this music that was conjuring up this old time feeling um but as time has gone on I'm like I don't even you know country I don't I'm not even really sure what that is anymore and I don't know if I even belong there. But, you know, genres are funny that way. Like, it's easier to just be like, okay, there's music. Yeah. And there's music that inspires me. I mean, I, I think at the time when I was starting, I really had to define for myself or... I kind of knew instinctually this is this is what I want to do because I hadn't done it yet. So I was looking at other people who I wanted to be like 
and they happen to be a whole range of people like you know Tom Waits or Dylan or um you know nameless kind of anonymous people who had made these field recordings or you know Loretta Lynn or uh you know at the time Nico Case was doing kind of more country inspired music and so I was looking at those people and saying that's what I want that's the kind of if you if that's twangy and country like that's where I want to go yeah and then or like the stones like their country um or the birds or that kind of country music where it's electrified and mixes in blues and but now as uh, time goes on I guess it you know you get your own head up your ass in a way because you just start thinking about your own path or you know how my current thing is going to bounce off of the previous material that I've done so it becomes something that I'm I, I don't look outward as much I think uh, to to look at other people and say oh this is what I want to be like so the genre thing has kind of fallen away yeah now earlier you mentioned like feelings and feeling the crowd and you want them to absorb it when you're in a recording studio and you're laying down your laying down the vocals with the band what goes through your head are you like concentrating on the lyrics or do you like just disappear and immerse yourself into it emotionally I think I'm trying to disappear and immerse myself in, into it emotionally but Yet, I think I'm listening, I'm listening a lot, um, either to myself and what I'm, how I'm expressing it, or the band, or I'm listening to the lyrics to figure out how to, how to vocally express what the lyrics are saying. And then what was is helpful is to listen back to it at once it's recorded and say mm, is that really the approach that I should take yeah should I be shouting this or should I be whispering um and also maybe just years of experience of um just going being in the studio and sort of thinking listening back to what I've done before and being like, mm, maybe I should have taken this other approach. But it is, being a singer is, um, it's more than just hitting the right notes. It's about, again, like conjuring a feeling. And it's very, very abstract in a way. Yeah. Um, how does sound affect our hearts? <laughs> It's, no, it it's strange how sounds can make us feel certain things. And when it's a human voice, you know, some human voices people cannot stand and other human voices it's, you know, somebody loves it. And But what is it about the way they phrase things or do they say a word? Um, and, it, you know, it's something you can study and I think that you can... But it's almost like you can't, it's not a study that you can um, codify almost. It's just an instinct. It's trying to 
trying to follow your instincts. And when you listen back to it and, and go and analyze it, you think, am I feeling the feeling that I'm supposed to be going through when I listen to this song? And then it's like, hmm. And that's the beauty of an amazing producer because they're listening to you and then they can coach you um, about, or if they feel like you can just learn, and maybe it's like the tarot card thing. The producer is like the tarot card reader where they, you know, put the faders up and say, come and have a listen to this. And then you listen back and you see yourself or you hear yourself reflected, and then you go, hmm, am I really going where I need to go? And then you go back into the vocal booth, and then you do it again Yeah. with that information. But it's not even, it's, it's done on a really kind of dreamlike um, level where, and I guess maybe that's why some of the, you know, my writing comes from this emotional place and um it's not a very it's not really a rational place it uses rationality to organize words and to choose the right words and there's sort of a recipe for making the song flow well but at the same time there is this intangible thing i'm trying to get to which is hard to nail down and you can't even describe it now, you said that you can't describe it. The next question kind of goes against that. When you're, <laughs> when you're sat down and you're going to write a song, how, how do you get these words? How do you kind of come to that like, form of decision to put pen to paper and say, okay, this is, this is how I want to phrase this start, mm. you know, the first verse, bridge, chorus, etc.? I almost never start at the beginning of the song. It starts in the middle somewhere. And um, there's sometimes when I'll just write in a journal and then that might turn into lyrics. But with these songs, I think, um, like for example, there's a really long epic, song called Ride On on Sleepy Little Sailors. It was the last song of the album. And we made it like 10 or 11 minutes long. It didn't need to be that long, but I had endless verses. <laughs> and I was trying to do that thing that, you know, what the Stones do. or It's like an epic novel where, I, I mean, I had been reading East of Eden by John Steinbeck and um, I came up with this melody an chord progression. And the first thing I wrote for it was, when angels fall, it looks like snow. Their wings are torn from where they grow. And then I wrote, you laid them in a leather case, a souvenir of your disgrace. And so, but I didn't know what this, who is this? What is it? You know, where's the beginning? Is this the middle? Is this the end? Yeah. And then I built the song around it. Um, to be inspired, you know, in this kind of John Steinbeck landscape of uh, a wandering person who needs to leave their home and go west and what happens to them and that they their drive to keep moving 
kind of alienates them from everybody. And I mean, I could re- basically, if I look at that, I go, oh, I'm talking about myself, actually. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah. But if I look at it, I go, oh, I was on tour a lot. I was trying to move around a lot. I really loved being on the road, but I was lonely on the road. And then, but then I'd come home and I would be addicted to this motion. Yeah. And that it was hard to forge relationships and this feeling of running away from something and looking towards something new every day or, you know, when you're on the road, you're kind of going from town to town and you can leave the crap you know things you didn't like you just leave them behind and then you see what's new in the next place and um so I was really lucky back then because I had a lot of time and space to dream and to think of these lyrics and I think I was actually more articulate and smarter then because I had just finished university and I was really (laughs) into philosophy and literature and and now I'm a little bit brain numb or something but um I do think that when I'm writing I think I've simplified my writing and made it a maybe a little more direct um but I think that there is something I need to kind of get into this dreamy state and in order to capture something. And again, yeah. it's like it's like this weird uh, fishing <laughs> or, you know, catching clouds or something like what I mean, a lot of it comes down to I make it sound really, you know, flaky, but uh, or kind of ethereal or something. But. There is this practical side of it of actually putting your pen to paper or sitting at your guitar. There's that part of it, but you're hoping that that part leads to this more abstract kind of dream space. Yeah. Now, earlier you mentioned having a journal. Do you still Mm -hmm. keep a journal or a diary? I do have that, but I'm very guilty of, you know, going long stretches of time not writing in it. I mean, I think that... I, um, sometimes I think, I, should I be one of those people that writes every day or should I wait until I feel inspired? Those are always questions that I'm, I think about a lot. Like, what's my process and is it wrong? Is it right? Yeah. You know, am I getting stuff done or am I just wasting time? <laughs> that, that, that's or, you know. I mean, that's what we all go through with life is, you know, we feel like we've got to accomplish something. And sometimes you don't. You just need to Mm -hmm. sometimes just to step back a bit and just look at the situation you've got ahead of you. And that's what Mm -hmm. if anything has come good from COVID-19 is the ability to take a breath, take a step back and just assess and reevaluate life. I agree that people are far too busy and they put too much value on being busy. Um, and I think you're right, like to pause and to be slow. I mean, I'm not, as you can tell with my, how I speak, I am naturally a slow, (laughs) slow person. So when I have to hurry up, it's disturbing. (laughs) It's disturbing me. (laughs) 
But a lot of times, because society tells you, you got to hurry up and be fast. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I got to do this. And you start whipping yourself. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I agree that it, it, it's been this embracing of, okay, it's time to be slow. It's time to be introverted. It's time to be thankful for what you have and not try to rush around accumulating something. You say you like to be introverted and take it nice and slow. When you're on stage, is there like a different persona that comes out that you can just release all this energy or is it, do you take that with you that It's funny, yeah. I mean, I kind of have to work myself up into going on stage because it's, even though I love it and, um, and I'm used to it now, if I go a long stretch without doing it, I'm like, oh my God, I can't get up there. (laughs) I mean, I do have a fair amount of uh, stage fright in some ways, far less so now, but it, but it can rear its ugly head for sure. And then when I'm up there, I am kind of in this adrenaline rush and afterwards as well. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what just happened? It was this, it's the same thing of like winning the award. Like, okay, what just happened? Yeah. I just was on stage where some people are just so casual. They're like, yeah, there's really no separation between who they are on stage and who they are off stage. And I guess I try to be authentic in myself, but I have to kind of work myself up into for performance mode. Yeah. Talking of like performance mode, what mm-hmm. is the most memorable experience that you've ever had on stage? Oh my god, that's impossible to answer. The most memorable? <laughs> Whenever you think of past performances and you just think, really, that happened? Well, there was a hilarious thing that happened in the UK when I was touring this album, which was. 9-11 had just happened and it was so early on no one was even calling it 9-11 it was like September 11th had happened and towers had fallen and we were the whole band and I were in Newcastle at this outdoor festival along the river and we're playing a song and halfway through the song this guy with I just I didn't know who he was he had long hair he looked like he was out of spinal tap he just <laughs> body checks me out of the way like boom like move pushes me out of the way of the microphone and he starts going testing testing one two three and then he says there i did it i did it i did it there and then he kind of disappeared and the band and i are like what just happened (laughs) and it turns out that he was part of the festival and the cops had made him go on stage and do this emergency interruption test you know like this is the emergency broadcast system (laughs) this is just a test but for some reason the police were like okay if you're gonna have this festival you have to have a protocol for how to interrupt it in case there's a terrorist attack in newcastle yeah (laughs) you never know I mean, you you never know. So, but it was so funny. Um, it was just like this thing, like, what's happening? Some guy's pushing me out of the way. And I maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's just some guy off the, out of the audience. And then what was so hilarious was that I just looked at the band and we all giggled for a minute and just launched into the song again. <laughs> wow. I mean, oh, wow. 
I, I think it's that, <laughs> the, the scary thing is I can picture it. I can picture that happening, <sighs> especially in Newcastle. Oh, it was so funny. I'm going to end up talking with the Jordy accent by the end of this as well. Jordy <laughs> is like the, the oh, slang yeah. term yeah. for Newcastle. That's right. Did you enjoy playing in the UK? I do. Really? And I have a lot of really amazing memories from those tours with the band and also solo tours, you know. I do really enjoy it. I think that um I think the audiences there love the dark subject matter that I sing about and especially my early stuff is a lot more dark and they love that. But then there's a sense of humor about it as well. Yeah. Which I really enjoy. British humor is by far, it can either be the most driest, the most mm-hmm. horrendous at times, but will make light of any situation. I love that. And actually, Canadians are similar, that we have a, a sense of irony that Americans don't. I can say that because I'm actually American born. Yeah. So I can criticize my own people. But. <laughs> But yeah, there is a certain irony that happens and, and self-effacement and taking the piss out of something. It's yeah. like, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Oh, totally. Have you got any like plans yeah. to come back to the UK anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, the, th- the idea was that I would go there in springtime of 2021 and or even January, but I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think that my agent is trying to book stuff for the springtime, April, May or something. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I'm doing a show that's live streamed and produced or presented by um, the live room in Saltaire. Yeah. And it's going to be at 8 p.m. UK time. So I'm going to be performing at noon my time. And Can't wait for that. So I... I think that's, and that's on Friday, the day of the release. So that will be fun. But yeah, it's funny. It's like, am I going to perform live over there? I have no idea. I I hope so. I think that's the most difficult thing at the moment is there's just no certain definitive, this is when it's all going to end because it's just so, so fluid at the moment. It is. It's like, it's hard to plan anything. Because yeah. if you plan it, okay, then do you have to undo it and reschedule and then it's twice as much work? and Or do you just wait and see? I think my agent wants to do something, so he's trying to book it. Yeah. <laughs> as well, long as he doesn't mind undoing it again. But As soon as something's booked and arranged, I cannot wait to get on the ticket website and to be one of the first ones to book a ticket. Thanks, Dom. It's been so nice to talk to you. It's been lovely talking to you as well. Now, at the end of each podcast, I tend to ask a couple of questions. It's Mm -hmm. based on things that happen here. Now, we have a biscuit called the Jaffa Cake. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if you know what that is or have any idea. Is it the marshmallow thing? No, it's like a a sponge. It's like a... Yeah. It's like a uh, a cookie kind of sized treat. And I'll I'll bring up a picture for you. Yeah, show it to me because I think I've had one and people have told me about them before. Um, They're really sweet. Yes. Right? Jaffa cake. So it's 
bit of a poor picture, but... So it's oh, like yeah. a sponge. So is it hard? It's, it's like a... It's like a firm sponge, like a very firm sponge. Yeah. But it's got like a layer of, um, like a orange flavoured jam, but it's not a jam, mm-hmm. it's like a jelly kind mm-hmm. of texture in the middle of it. My normal yeah. question f- for that one is, is it a cake or is it a biscuit or a cookie <laughs> in your terms? Oh my God. Because it... Is it... Well, I think if it's, if it's crispy or you know, crunchy, is it crunchy or is it's, it soft? It, it, it's, a, it's a bizarre one because it's not, it's not soft like a Twinkie, but it's not as right. crunchy like an Oreo. It's like in between. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. But it's small. But it's, you can put it in your pocket. Yeah, it's probably about two inches, two and a half inches in diameter. Yeah. I mean, you guys have different words for things over yeah. there. <laughs> so for us, no one would call that a cake. Yeah, but I knew, I could see in the UK people calling it a cake because you guys call things puddings that aren't puddings in our minds. <laughs> That's being mean. Go on. So, what kind of things do we call puddings that you don't call puddings? Well, you just call dessert pudding, right? Yeah, it's pudding. Which we don't do that. We we call it if pudding is the soft kind of um, like custard. A, yeah, like a custardy, moussey custard. kind of thing. Yeah, usually That's chocolate what we call flavored. pudding. Yeah, so I love I love that you guys just call everything pudding. That's it's, sweet. I mean, we do use the word dessert sometimes, particularly when we go mm-hmm. to a restaurant. But whenever we're at home, it's always a pudding. Ready for pudding? Yeah, exactly. But then we have, or can we have tea? Like tea could mean, you it, know, of course it's a tea, but it's also maybe a meal. Yeah, because <laughs> we. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or it could be breakfast, lunch, and tea, or it could be and tea, yeah. Breakfast, dinner, and tea, yeah. Then, then there's like so supper in between. If you're asking me whether it's a if it's a cake or a biscuit, I'm not the person to ask because I'm going to get it wrong for sure. Because I live in Canada and we don't have these, you know, interesting ways of viewing food <laughs> as you do. <laughs> what I'll have to do is see if I can get some Jaffa cake sent to you. To okay. See if, to see if yeah. you can give us an idea. I'll do a video. <laughs> yeah, I'll do a video of me eating the Jaffa cake. Giving like a uh, give a review of it. See, it's an unboxing of the Jaffa cake. <laughs> the second one, uh, the second kind of debateish question that I ask here is um, pineapple on pizza. Is it right or what is did it wrong? you say? Pineapple on pizza. Oh, pineapple on pizza. Did you know that was, I think it's a Canadian invention. Is it? Yeah. I did not know that. I think so. Do you? I personally do not like it. But then if my son orders a pizza from somewhere and there's pineapple on it, I will eat it and go, oh, actually, I kind of like it. But generally, it's, it's like a downgraded version of pizza. It's sort of like eating... Um, you know, any kind of packaged foods, like say what's, you know, let's, if you go, if Jamie Oliver were to make you a spaghetti bolognese, or if you were supposed to open a can of spaghetti with (laughs) meatballs, to me, those are the, that's what pineapple on pizza is like the can of spaghetti on meatballs versus real pizza is 
is, you know, the Neapolitan style, thin crust, excellent, you know, see, the thing is my husband makes this stuff. So, but that is all that to say, I would probably enjoy opening a can of spaghetti if I just have to put it in a different category, I have to just say it is not trying to emulate the Jamie Oliver spaghetti bolognese. It's trying to emulate its own thing. So the pineapple on pizza is, it should actually have another name than pizza. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I, I, I can understand that likeness to spaghetti in a can. Yeah. Um, now spaghetti in a can is a, it's a staple food. I mean, I don't know if people... <laughs> I personally have never liked spaghetti in a can. No, it's disgusting. But then if someone said, here, if you had had a whole bunch of marijuana and someone said, here, eat this, you'd be like, oh, my God, it tastes so sweet and delicious. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nailed it on the head. <laughs> now, the last thing I want to finish the podcast on is about bread. But first, let's replug the deluxe album. So when can we see Sleepy Little Sailor? Well, it's going to come out on on September the 4th, but you can actually pre-order. It's going to be on double white vinyl with all the original tracks and then these five bonus tracks. And then... So you can buy that right now through my website. Just follow the links. Um, But if you're a streamer, you can also pre-save it. And it will all be revealed on the 4th of September. And what is your website? www.osusanna.com I love the British accent flair to that at the end. Absolutely love it. And where can we find you on social media? All the socials with Oh Susanna Music at the end of it. That's fantastic. Forward slash, forward slash, Oh Susanna Music. So that's on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And yeah, and YouTube. I'm supposed to be plugging my YouTube page, apparently. Okay, so check out YouTube before you check out Apple Music and everything. But make sure you pre-save, pre-order Sleepy Little Sailor, which is out on the 4th. Okay, so the final question, the final topic is bread. Now, I've noticed Mm -hmm. on your Instagram, the Wonder Bread picture mixed next to the like sourdough half and half bread thing. Yes. What was that all about? What was happening there? Oh, my God. Goodness. So my husband, he gets obsessive about food, which is Too right. good for me. It's great for me. I mean, I'm obsessed with food as well, but he's obsessed with creating the food. And he decided, before he even noticed that everybody was getting all crazy for baking, he's like, I think I'm going to try to do sourdough. And uh, so he did. He he really got good at making this beautiful sourdough bread. And we gained about 10 pounds each. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're trying to cut down and lose the weight again. What's he making today? 
he's making this sourdough. <laughs> I think a little bit of rye is in it. And then tonight he's doing a pizza with his incredible uh, rock box, which is a UK invention. Yeah. A portable pizza oven. And um, so, but my son loves just the plain old sandwich bread, you know, white bread that's spongy. Yeah. Processed kind of. Part of the reason is that he wants to put Nutella on it, and it really Nutella doesn't really go with sourdough that well. No, I can I can see that 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 is like the only concession to having like the cheaper Starbucks kind of bread. If you've got the choice between the cheapy Wonder Bread compared Mm -hmm. to a nice freshly baked sourdough, my mouth is watering right now. I love it. I know. Yeah, it's no competition, really. The other thing is, I don't know if you guys have this over there, but we have this thing called a club sandwich, which is toasted bread with um, lettuce, tomato, bacon, ham, and turkey. And it's a triple-decker. And if you make it with sourdough on a (laughs) triple-decker, it won't work that well. Yep. So you kind of want that white sandwich bread for that too. So I'm, you know, again, I think I'm part of that. It's a similar answer of these crass, you know, degradation of fine food. There's a time and place for these things. Yeah. I mean, it depends. You can do it with the sourdough. It just depends on how wide your mouth gets and how thick or thin you slice the bread. Yeah, it's true. Unless you just cut the bread down the middle and then just have the whole thing and then kind have of the whole thing. That be that's that's. Do my you remember that thing they used to do? I don't know if they did it over there, but they used to bring a soup in a bowl that was made of bread. Like they'd hollow out I this think, round loaf, and I then th- you would have soup inside or a dip inside. Do you wh- remember that? I love um, <laughs> freshly crusty bread, and if you hollow it out, you can put like sausages and then bacon and then like eggs and then beans put it in the like oven bake to, it again and bake it again and then it kind of turns like 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 a breakfast sandwich kind of thing but oh yeah that's yeah that, that's like a casserole yeah exactly that's oh, i'm hungry now yeah <laughs> it is <the>, midnight <laughs> snack it's yeah it's 20 well it's 20 past eight here in the uk and it's um obviously eight hours Prior to that, it's 20 past 12 there. That's right. So you'd be, you'd be ready for your lunch. Yeah. Or what would you call lunch? Lunch or dinner. Either either lunch or. or. Di- yeah. I know. See, it's confusing. You see, I can be, I, I'm just so flexible. I can just, I'll go with the flow. Okay. <laughs> I, can, I can call it tea. I can call it dinner. I can call it evening meal. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Susie. Thanks, Dom. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I can't wait to actually see you back here in the UK. Yeah, I know. I hope I get there soon. I hope I get there in the spring. Fingers crossed. Remember, everybody, Sleep a Little Sailor is out on 4th of September. It'll be on all these streaming platforms, and go to Susanna's website to pre-order the album as well. So, everybody take care, and thank you for listening. See you all next time. Bye for now. (laughs) 
That was the Country Chats Podcast. Join Dom next time for exclusive interviews, reviews and general chit-chats on all things country music.